The reading today is taken from 2 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, found on page 257. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, page 257. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard that Abner had died at Hebron, his courage failed and all Israel was dismayed. Now Saul's son had two men who were captors, captains of raiding bands. The name of one was Bana, and the name of the other Rechab, sons of Rimon, a man of Benjamin, from Beeroth. For Beeroth also is counted part of Benjamin. The Berothites fled to Gitaim and have been sojourners there to this day. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. Now the sons of Rimon, the Berathite, Rechab and Bana, set out, and about the heat of the day they came to the house of Ishbosheth, as he was taking his noonday rest. And they came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. When they came into the house, as he lay on his bed in his bedroom, they struck him and put him to death and beheaded him. They took his head and went by the way of the Arabah all night and brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. And they said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. The Lord has avenged my lord, the king, this day on Saul and on his offspring. But David answered Rechab and Bana, his brother, the sons of Rimon, the Berathites, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity, when one told me, Behold, Saul is dead, and thought he was bringing good news, I seized him and killed him at Ziklag, which was the reward I gave him for his news. How much more? when wicked men have killed a righteous man in his own house on his bed, shall I not now require his blood at your hand and destroy you from the earth? And David commanded his young men, and they killed them and cut off their hands and feet and hanged them beside the pool at Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner at Hebron. Please keep your Bibles open while my teaching us. Thank you, Verena. I think uh, Debbie's going to take out the children and relive that moment. So you might have a few less children coming back. I'm sorry about the heat. It's lovely actually to apologise for. Uh, the heat in the middle of winter, isn't it? But uh, try and keep uh, awake. Uh, 
lose layers of clothing if that uh, helps. But uh, we put the heating off. That's now the heating in the house that's working and making a noise. But I'm hoping we are not getting hotter and stuff here as the evening progresses. Anyway, back into 2 Samuel 4 because there's enough hot stuff going on here to keep you warm for uh, the night. And as we come into the chapter, let me ask you a simple question. What do you think of God when evil happens? We go around the doorsteps in our area and the one thing that people can say to shut us up as Christians is why is there so much evil? That's going to keep a Christian quiet because there's no answer to that. At least so they think. Our difficulty is actually the opposite. There are so many things we could say in answer to that question because the Bible actually answers that question why is there so much evil on lots of different levels. And we're going to be therefore needing a simple answer to that question. And I want to suggest that this little chapter, chapter 4, is going to give us a very helpful answer tonight. It's such an easy little story, just in 12 verses, a story that is, well, fairly X-rated, if you imagine the details. But nonetheless, a simple story that begins with evil, that ends with God's king. And that little story, as we understand it tonight, is uh, going to be massively helpful in uh, keeping a simple answer in front of our minds. This big question, why is there so much evil? Well, let's start with the evil. That's where the story starts. And with these two men, Bena and Rechab, who take off someone's head. Now, that's evil, but here's the point. They think it's actually quite good. If you look at verse 10, uh, David himself compares them with somebody else who did something similar, who thought they were doing something good. Now, how on earth... Can you call a thing like this good? I want to say you can actually for two reasons. First, they're doing it for the good of their country. The back story to this is that God had told David that he's going to be the king. And a man called Saul, who was king at that time, opposed David every step of the way. But that king, Saul, dies in battle. But instead of David then becoming king... Saul's very powerful general took one of Saul's sons called Ishbosheth and put him as his puppet king. But Abner's the mover and shaker, he's the big man and the little puppet. Now, the trouble happened last week when the big man changed sides and he now wants to serve David. Where does that leave the puppet? A bit like Fedra's tennis shirt after Fedra's changed sponsors. That tennis shirt is no longer going to be used by anybody. It's a limp and damp rag on the floor. 
And that's actually how Ishbosheth feels. If you look at verse 1, when Ishbosheth saw his son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, his courage failed and all Israel was dismayed. Yes, Abner crossed sides, but then he was put to death. Either way, he's not going to be Ishbosheth's backer anymore. Where does that leave Ishbosheth? And where does that leave the country? Because the whole country is dismayed. That's the problem, you see. The country is in a very sad state. They've got this puppet king that they don't want. They'd much rather be having David as king. But who's going to solve the problem for them? How can they get away from this man to follow David? Well, the answer is, of course, in uh, Bana and Rechab. If they, for the sake of their country, can kill Ishbosheth, then the country will have a great king. So let's do this for our country and get a great king ruling over us. That's what we want. We want to do this for the good of the country. See? But not just for the good of the country, for the good of David himself. Let's clear the last obstacle out of the way. Now David can be king. And in the process, why don't we do God a favor? Because, well, we're helping God to keep his promise that he made to David. But this obstruction now out of God's way. And actually, they see themselves as God's instrument, don't they? In verse 8, you hear how they talk. Uh, the Lord has avenged my Lord the King this day. In other words, what we've done, that's just God doing it. We're just instruments of God. We're doing what God would do. We're giving God a hand in all of this. Now, yes, there happens to be another member of uh, Saul's family in verse 4, a man called Jonathan. We'll hear more about him later. Uh, uh, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, we'll hear more about him later. But no need to worry about him. He's crippled. So what they do, they go for Ishbosheth, the man himself, in verse 5. And no one suspects a thing about what they're going to do. Why would they? They're part of the same family, you see. They're part of Benjamin, tells us that in verse 2. And so therefore, it's no surprise in verse 6, if they're going to their king, who's their tribe, in order to collect their wheat rations, get some food. It's what everybody did in those days, if they were part of that family. So here are the two men who are the best place men in town who can do regime change because they're going to be able to get to Ishbosheth in a way that no one else can and bring about the result that's going to be good for their country and good for David as well. These guys are very clearly on David's side. Just look at the way they're talking in verse 8. They address David as my lord the king. Clearly they are for their country and they are for David. 
Now, look, I'm not trying to be their lawyer and get them off the hook in front of you, their jury. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just simply trying to make one very, very simple point. And I think it's an important point, and it's not one that we always see. Here's the important point to remember. That is, that no one does evil thinking that they are doing evil. They think they're always doing good. Even Hitler, with the things that he did, thought that he was doing his country good. Okay? And yet, it is actually evil. And here's the second point. That evil ends with God's king. We looked at evil, now we're going to look at God's king because he doesn't see things the way these men do. In verse 8, they say that David, or that, that Saul is David's enemy. But David never saw Saul as his enemy. Saul did see David as his enemy, but there was no hatred in this king. David was always a very loyal servant. And what God's king does is he has full confidence in God's justice. Therefore, he isn't going to do evil. He is going, not going to take things into his own hands. Instead, he trusts God who has delivered him from every adversity in verse 9. He is absolutely confident God is in charge. He doesn't therefore need to raise a finger to put things right himself. But when evil now comes in front of him, he does put things right. There is no time wasted. There is instant justice. And these two men die under the judgment of God's king. Now, I know it's not pleasant reading to hear what happens to the body parts in the different parts of this story, especially at the end when the two hands are chopped off and uh, people are able to see what's become of these <coughs> two guys. Not pleasant reading, not pleasant imagining. I know, but doesn't it tell the whole kingdom that there is going to be no place for this kind of evil around with this kind of king? Makes the point, doesn't it, in a very, very strong, dramatic way. This kingdom will not have evil in it. And what's more, you see how Ishbosheth is given the same honor as Abner, that if you were here last week, we saw in the last chapter. So, Ishbosheth at the end is given honor and the two men who killed him are used to demonstrate there would be no more evil in this kingdom. Now, that's really helpful for us to think about evil in our world and it happens a lot 
and people will always ask the question, why? But it's not really an explanation that we need when things go wrong. Because let's face it, if you have an explanation, it's not going to change anything, is it? Now, we can actually explain why there was evil in this story. There were two men who thought that they were doing good. That's what drove them. And the reason why there's evil in the world is not a big mystery. We're living in a warped world where warped people think in warped ways that they're doing good when actually they're doing evil. What is important is not the why question. That's an easy one to understand. The big question to ask is the when question. Meaning, when will it end? And it'll end when evil comes face to face with God's king. Now, this story shows us what we've seen again and again in this part of the Bible, that David is God's king of the Old Testament, who is there to get us ready to understand what it would be like with God's king, Jesus, in the New Testament. David is the Old Testament Messiah, God's anointed king. Jesus is the anointed king. And this story makes a point to everybody, therefore, that Jesus, God's king, will judge evil and there will be no evil ever again in his kingdom. And he will put things right. All David could do was to give Ishbosheth an honourable funeral. Uh, he couldn't do anything more than that. His power was limited. He couldn't bring people to life <coughs> after they had died. Jesus is able to not just remove evil completely and forever, but to put right what has been done wrong as well. So what we need to maybe understand is to see life like this. I like the idea that um, Rob told us at the start. Imagine uh, life in a classroom full of chaos. Is there a teacher in charge? Well, I think actually that's wonderfully described in verse 7. Picture yourself in the timeline in verse 7 where it seems like evil has been done and evil men have got away with the evil that they've done and might even seek to profit from the evil that they've done. Where in the timeline in verse 7? All you've got to do is just hang around a bit longer. Just wait just a fraction longer until this evil gets in front of God's king. Then see what happens. And that's what this part of the Bible is wanting us to see. Yeah, you might be in verse 7, seeing evil men do evil things and seeming to get away with it and hoping to profit from it, but just wait. Wait to see what happens when they're in front of God's king. So if someone isn't a Christian, 
And uh, sorry, I thought I'd press that. Um, if someone isn't a Christian uh, because uh, they think uh, that God is a bit uh, impotent and powerless and useless, and maybe that that someone is you, either here or listening on our website. And you may be someone who's quite sensitive to the evil that's going on in the world, and you would be right. And it may be that you're especially sensitive to the evil that's going on in the world done in the name of God to help his cause. And you'd be right to be sensitive about that as well. But don't play around with the question, why? That's just because people are warped and they think in warped ways that the evil they do is good. No. Look for the important question. Ask, when will it end? And God's promise to us through this part of the Bible is that it will end when he comes in front of Jesus, who is God's king, when he returns. Evil hasn't come in front of God's king yet. We're still in verse 7 on the timeline. But it will. But here's the little boomerang lesson that we need to pick up along the way. And that is that we need to be careful that we understand and relate to this king wisely ourselves. Knowing him and his way of living and working because if we don't, the danger is that we will go in front of him expecting to be commended for our good when he were well declared that our good is evil if we, are, if we have lived our lives out of obedience to him. Meaning disobedient rather than out of obedience. But out of disobedience to him then might make it clearer. But there is, I think, a caution. We need to remember that he defines what is good, but I think there is a, a caution for us church people as well, I think, because it's so easy isn't it, to climb on your high horse and to think that certain people are God's enemies when he doesn't think of them like that. It's not necessary for God to have his rivals taken out, not even verbally. we need to maybe point out to people when they have got God wrong and show them perhaps from the Bible where God might disagree with them. Yes, let's do that, but helpfully and for their good, for their benefit, not for their hurt. Because David doesn't go for Ishbosheth. He gives him time to change. Remember, it worked with Abner. Abner changed sides. And it seems like, from the, David's arrangements for the funeral service, it seems that he was giving Ishbosheth the same, the same benefit of the doubt as well. He was treating Ishbosheth as if he was an Abner on his side as well. And we need to be patient to give people opportunity to change sides rather than to. Um, try and sort things out ourselves. That's a far better longing to have that they will change sides 
rather than they would be somehow squashed and hurt. Or it may be that you are a believer who reads the press reports about the murder of innocent people and this story I think does help us with the news headlines that we read today. So when some Muslims, for example, cut off the heads of helpless folk, thinking that they are serving God, they are simply Rechab and Bana. It's just a replay of 2 Samuel 4. Now, they call themselves fighters, but they are the equivalent of these two men, so macho that they can even kill a man in his sleep. Brave. Now, it's just helpful for us to understand what will happen to Rechab, what, what will happen to men who do what Rechab and Barna have done when they get in front of God's king. But there is something else that's worth remembering. God not only ends evil, but he actually uses evil. Because the truth is that with the death of Ishbosheth, the evil death of Ishbosheth, yes, the last obstacle has been taken out of the way for God's king to be king. And so God's purposes are worked out even in the evil that has been done. He is that powerful that this God can use evil. And we see that primarily at the cross. What happened there? Evil men did evil things. But what did they do? Well, they opened the door for God to pay the price for our evil. And they opened the door of resurrection so that the world could see who the future king will be who will come to end evil. So God is able to use evil done personally against himself and to use that in his purposes. That's how powerful he is. So what about evil then? What causes it? Well, I think actually what we've learned today is caused by people who actually think they're doing good because we live in a warped world where people think like that. But the important question is not why, but when will it end? And I think there are two massive reassurances for us in this chapter. One is that it will end when it comes in front of God's king. And there will be no evil in his kingdom. And he will put right what has been done wrong. But more than that, even the evil in the world that you see that you don't understand, he will use to achieve his purposes of great blessing for others. That's a God that is worth trusting in putting our confidence in and following in. And even if you are the recipient of evil, 
to know what David knows in verse 9, that he is a God who will ultimately deliver us from every adversity. And we can put our complete confidence and security in that. <coughs> I'd suggest that we have a moment perhaps when we talk to God ourselves privately about what he has told us from the Bible. And then after that, I'll, after a bit of quiet, I'll pray and then we can take the questions. Let's pray silently, privately, each speaking to God in our own way. Let's respond to what he has said to us.